G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story In the end, it was our pastor that got us out and arranged for us to go into refuge. He helped move everything out and the belongings that I could take with us and got us into women's refuge and they help you go through the courts and and it was a, a good safe place but I was so incredibly stressed my brain wouldn't even work properly and I remember standing there and crying because I forgot the recipe of how to make a cup of coffee. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guest today is once again a survivor of domestic violence and abuse. She's courageously sharing how God worked in her life to help her heal from the trauma she experienced on an almost daily basis. Once again, we're not using her name in order to protect her and her family's privacy. Last time we heard how she became a Christian and the events in her life that led her to marrying a violent and abusive man. This time we'll hear more of her story and how dysfunctional her home life had become. But we'll also hear how God works in her life to help her heal from post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Once again, she's chatting with Eric Scadabo and parents, we just want to let you know that parts of today's conversation are not appropriate for young ears. And I understand another time he locked you up somewhere in a, in a shed or something? Oh, yeah. If that was okay, when you're locked in a shed and you're not locked in with him, you're safe. So that was how dysfunctional your life had become, that it was actually an improvement to be locked in a shed because then you knew you were safe from him. Is that right? Yes. Yep. He was in another place. I was locked in the shed, but he was in another place. Yeah. And then I heard the phone ring and he came out and and let me out. So I thought, oh, well, someone must be coming over. (laughs) And that's what it was. Someone was coming over. So he couldn't have somebody come over and find out his wife was locked in a shed. Yeah, that's right. This is obviously painting a picture of a highly dysfunctional, toxic relationship. Yes, it was. And I tried my best as a Christian. You know, by then, I was a Christian then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, I always, I tried, um, I'd beg God. All my prayers would involve, every time I was praying, it would involve me asking God to please make me into a better wife because I always felt like it was somehow my fault that our relationship was like this. And I had Christians who would say, you know, just submit and win him up over without a word, and which I tried to do. But at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, you don't know what you're asking me to submit to. This is an extraordinary circumstance that yes. these kind of pithy sayings and things just aren't hitting the mark or anywhere near the mark. It actually keeps you trapped. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the same time, you know, when I say this, you have to remember that it was three decades ago. and Yeah, people didn't know about domestic violence back in the 70s know. and 80s. And, mm-hmm. and you can't expect people to know and understand if they haven't been through it. So, yeah. you know, I had to go through a forgiveness of the church and forgiving people for 
keeping me trapped like that. You know, I even had somebody say a Christian woman should never leave her husband. And I said, so if I was killed, what would you do? Would you leave my kids with a, a deranged man or would you organise for them to be cared for? What would you do? And you had no answer. But, yeah, your, um, your personal safety is important. Yes. In saying this, in the end, it was our pastor that got us out mm-hmm. and arranged for us to go into refuge. He helped move everything out and the belongings that I could take with us and mm-hmm. got us into women's refuge. and Like, like a safe got, house for battered women? Yes. Yep. And it was down in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. That's how we ended up in Melbourne. So I was there for three months and it was a good place. They looked after us well. And they had childcare workers there and everything. And they help you go through the courts. and. Mm-hmm. So that was you and your children at that point. Yes. And it was a, a good, safe place. But I was so incredibly stressed. My brain wouldn't even work properly. Hmm. And I remember when I arrived there, they showed me where the kettle was and you know, it said to help yourself to make a cup of coffee and or tea or whatever you like. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember standing there and crying because I forgot the recipe of how to make a cup of coffee. Oh. A- and I couldn't read the containers of what they said. Um, that's what stress does to you sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was like I'd become retarded in some way. And mm. they just said, it's, it's okay. This is normal to be like this and it's going to get better every day. Mm. And they got one of the other ladies, you know, said, can you make a cup of coffee here or a cup of tea? And um, so this other lady made me a drink. And But it was frightening to be like that, you know, go mm. from somebody who could think ahead and manage the house well and did everything, a good planner, um, good manager of money. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, it sounds like you were kind of a, a shell of your former self because of the stress. Yes, yeah. And anyway, we had to do our chores. Um, every woman had to cook dinner each night, yeah, yeah, on a roster for all that sort of thing. I'd been cooking and made some salads and things, and Christmas was coming up, and they, they said, oh, you know, we've got a really good cook here. And that shocked me, you know, because I'd been criticised for my cooking all this time, mm. and I thought I couldn't cook. I just made do, you know. And they said, if we pay you, will you make the salads for our Christmas function? Oh, wow. And they bought all the ingredients and they paid me $10 a salad. But, you know, that did wonders to my self-esteem because I believed all these lies. I believed that I couldn't cook. I believed that I was a a bad wife. Um, Yeah, so you had been verbally abused for years. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he always told me I was a hypocritical Christian because I wasn't submissive enough, Mm. you know. So he was using your faith against you to try to demean you, it sounds like. Yeah, he knew scriptures too. Uh, (laughs) Enough to uh, give you a hard time and a guilt trip. Yes. So, anyway, that that was a start of amending, if you like, you know, Mm -hmm. because they were very encouraging. They looked after us well. Mm -hmm. And eventually I found a place of our own and we moved into it i had the kids furniture had their bed and their dressing tables and we had all our clothes mm-hmm. but i didn't have a fridge or a washing machine i didn't have my own bed i slept in a sleeping bag on the floor hmm. for ages but we eventually built things up you know 
mm. and got our life together again. And then I, it was like God was opening the door bit by bit. But it, it was such a huge thing to get over, you know, and I, I felt like I'd ruined my walk with God because I'd left my husband. And, you know, I had a lot of guilt about leaving. And it took a long time to work through it all. And I had a lot of um, fear still and anger all intermingled. And the thing was, the um, fear started dropping away. But I was left with this incredible anger. Anger at, at who? A lot of things. Angry. There were situations like a, a friend's neighbor, he was abusing his wife out the front of my friend's place, you know. And I froze because the fear was there. I froze, but mm. this anger was welling up, you know, and I didn't know what to do with it. It was um, a huge, huge thing. And that stayed with me for a while. It took a while to work through all this. Mm. And I remember one time I was getting petrol and I got back in the car and I heard the guys out in the car behind me abuse me. They called me some awful names. And see, the fear's gone, but the anger's still there. I was mm -hmm. furious. Mm -hmm. So I turned the engine off. I got out of the car and I went over to their window and I said, you're a very rude man. <laughs> <laughs> so it I sounds said, like you weren't putting up with anything anymore. No, see, the fear was going, but I was furious. Mm. And anyway, he did it again. When I got back in the car, I got out again and I went and told him off again. And then... Um, he did it again as I was driving off. So I parked the car, followed him into this shop and abused him in front of all these people, huh. telling him that I was there first and that's the way it works. You get your petrol first and you just have to wait. Anyway, as I drove off, I was in tears. I thought, what's wrong with me? You know? mm. And I was shaking with this anger. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Why did I do that? Why did I burst out with all this? You know, I didn't understand. Yeah, as but, if it was bottled up and it was just coming out in, in rages. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I was confronted with somebody who was abusive, anybody angry, I found it really difficult to deal with. Mm. But I'd work through it and I'd weep and cry and ask God to take it away and and eventually it did subside, mm -hmm. but I had to work through forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And that is, has been the biggest key for me is working through the forgiveness mm -hmm. and guarding my thoughts, you know, not thinking about negative things, not allowing self-pity to come into the picture. Mm -hmm. And I saw those things as my mortal enemy. And I guarded against it, but the forgiveness came in layers. And I think, okay, I've forgiven. All right, I've forgiven this person. I've forgiven my ex-husband. And then something else had happened. I think there's another layer of forgiveness I have to go through. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it took a long time. Mm. But I kept doing it. I kept choosing the path of forgiveness and letting it go. Mm -hmm. And that's where the healing came, mm -hmm. through dealing with the unforgiveness that appeared. It would just raise up. And I think I'd forgiven and then something would happen and it would make me aware that I had unforgiveness still. Mm -hmm. And did the forgiveness help you deal with the anger as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it did. And, and actually, there was somebody who said something to me that really made a difference. I hated anything out of order in the house, even a newspaper in the wrong spot. And I was just absolutely pedantic about keeping the house in order. 
and this lady said to me, you know, when you've been controlled, you are scared of being out of control. And so you try and control your mm. environment. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that is so true. That's what I was doing. I was trying to control everything because I, I knew what it was like to be out of control. There was mm -hmm. a fear of mm -hmm. having something out of control. To a hypersensitive extent, it sounds like. Yes, yep. Trying to keep everything neat. Because I used to be in a lot of trouble if the house was out of order. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like just a little annoyance. <laughs> Yeah, I did my utmost all the time to keep things under control mm. and um, keep it all nice and neat and everything because this is a, um, an example. One time he came home and the sun was shining through the windows and you could see the kid prints all over the windows and he cracked it and he went mm. out there and cleaned the windows himself and he's abusing me while he's doing it so I've never cleaned a window in my whole life. <laughs> So that's the sort of thing that would happen, right? Mm, yeah. And I know that that's where it's all come from. Mm. But while you're working through it, you don't know. Yeah. And yeah. you're just trying to muddle your way through all this stuff. You're listening to The Story. Today, our guest once again is a survivor of domestic violence and abuse who's courageously sharing how God worked in her life to help her heal from the trauma she experienced. We'll hear more of her story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, once again, our guest is a survivor of domestic violence and abuse, who's courageously sharing her life journey and how God worked in her life to help her heal from the trauma she experienced. She's chatting with Eric Scatterbo. And then eventually you were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD? Yes. I thought that he never hurt the kids, but you know, they went and lived with him once they got a bit older, one at a time. Mm -hmm. And I found out that he abused one of them physically. Mm. Anyway, when I was told this, it all came flooding back to me. All that trauma came flooding back. He was one of my kids who'd been hurt. Mm. And everything came flooding back and I started having um, nightmares. I would be trying to speak to somebody and all the words would drop out of my mind. I didn't, And I'd find myself staring at someone thinking, oh, hang on, I was in a conversation. What was I saying? Mm. And, you know, having these flashbacks, and it was terrible. Um, yeah, wow, quite a, quite a journey. So it wasn't like you snapped your fingers and everything was all better. No, no. So anyway, I went off to the doctor and, and told him what was happening and said, you know, I need to have a mental health care plan. I'm afraid my hippocampus is going to shrink away to nothing because stress affects your brain. Yeah. Anyway, he gave me a referral for my 10 sessions and I went off and I had um, counselling with this guy at the same clinic and he told me this was PTSD mm. and he said, but cognitive behavioural therapy works very well and we can do that. So we'll start that next week. 
So I went along, went home, and I Googled it, cognitive behavioural therapy, and I thought, okay, it's like all my memories were so scattered now. It was like somebody took a box of my memories and turned it upside down on the floor, Mm. and it didn't make sense anymore. Mm. And I thought, I know. I'll open up a Word document and I'll start doing a timeline. So I started making timelines of my life Mm -hmm. from um, where to go and where I was. And I started putting my memories together a bit. And then I did another chart that's showing what all these memories that were coming up and how I believed it was affecting me now. Was that helpful for you? Yeah. Well, I went back to him the next week and I told him what I did. And he sat back and he said, You've actually developed your own cognitive behavioural tool. I don't have to do that now. Oh, well, good on you. (laughs) Physician, heal thyself. Yeah, so anyway, he said, you know, bring it in to me and I'll have a look at it. So I did all that and we worked through it. And at one stage, he said to me, tell me some of your stories. And I told him. And this is the first time this has been so in my face. I actually felt really taken back. He said, so... From what you're telling me, there was going to be a murder. Either you would end up killing him or he would end up killing you. Mm. And putting that label on it, a murder, it shocked me. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you're in survival mode. Yeah. You just go from day to day and you're thinking on your feet all the time as to how to handle every situation. And you're walking on eggshells because you never know what's going to set them off. You don't know. Mm-hmm. And it could be anything. Yeah. And so while you're in survival mode, you don't have a real sense of how dangerous it is. And it wasn't until then that I realized that it was really dangerous. And he said to me, you know, you told me three stories. Do you know that most people don't have any of that ever in their life? Hmm. And I thought, what? You, you mean three <laughs> traumatic stories? Is that what he meant? Yeah, he wanted to hear some some of those traumatic stories. And I thought, oh, okay. I never even thought other people don't have these things somewhere in the world. Yeah, I recently heard from a counselor that she had counseled people who came back from the Vietnam War, you know, war veterans and their PTSD. And then she also counseled survivors of abuse. And she found out it was more or less the same type of counseling. The trauma was similar. yes. Because it's prolonged too. I had 10 years of that. Yeah. 10 years of incidences where um, my life was in danger and I had to think on my feet to survive all the time. And it wasn't like that all the time. We still had good times. Don't get me wrong. Mm. There were some good times too. And that's what keeps you trapped, see. You have the cycle. You have that explosion of anger and then you have the remorse and he would bring me flowers and he'd be sorry and all this sort of thing. And um, he appears to change and then the build-up starts again. And it takes a long time to realise it's a cycle. Mm-hmm. And some people, they never realise they're in a cycle. They just think, you know, they're causing the problem. Mm. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but also you had a life-limiting disease? Yes, yeah, that's been fairly recent and... Anyway, I've had treatment, some radical surgery, chemo treatment, and and I'm doing okay. But, you know, I didn't know whether I would survive that. I still don't know. I've got a 22% chance of making it to five years Mm. going by the stats. But I'm so comforted knowing my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens to me, 
whether my life is long or short, my name is in that book and I know where I'm going. You know, Amen. I have eternal life. And now you know about the Lamb of God that takes away the sins I of the world. Know. Yes. I'm in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Yes. I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know, my perspective has changed over the years on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But the journey, if I didn't experience these things, the things that I've been through, I wouldn't be the person I am today and I wouldn't mm. have the understanding that I have today. And as mm. hard as it's been, it's been growth. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for it. So what can you say, you know, when you've, you've had that, you know, be grateful for your life, for what you've got. Mm -hmm. And having that relationship with Christ is the most important thing at the end of the day because you don't know when your last breath is going to happen. I had no symptoms of this disease, mm -hmm. no symptoms whatsoever, and suddenly my life has turned upside down again with, with this diagnosis and having to have radical surgery, and mm. I was in hospital. I was in ICU for five days and two weeks in hospital. Wow. yeah. So we should say that yeah. the trauma from the domestic violence that you had with your ex-husband, that was about 25 years ago. Yeah, more than that. I've been remarried now for 26 years. Okay, but obviously yeah. healing from that traumatic experience has been a long journey, it sounds like. Yeah, Yes, and God has taken me through the healing with the PTSD. I had two lots of counselling, and I did a mindfulness course, which mindfulness meditation, um, it sounds, sounds new agey, but what that does, when I started learning about it, I thought, hang on, this is a practical way of applying thinking of what is noble, what is good, you know, and controlling what you're thinking about. And I had a vested interest in making this work, of course, and I, I diligently did the mindfulness exercises twice a day, mm -hmm. and it's proven to change your brain. It actually um, strengthens your prefrontal cortex in mm. your brain, which is where your decision-making and everything happens. So I did that, and that really helped me and strengthened me to, to not go back think in my brain, you know, thinking of scary things or thinking something bad is going to happen. Mm. But anyway, now I have hardly any symptoms. Mm. It creeps up every now and then. But when you compare where I was before, mm -hmm. I feel mostly healed from that. Do you have any final comments before we end today? Well, I'll just say that suffering comes to us all. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't suffered, you just haven't lived long enough, probably. But you can make your suffering worse by thinking negatively about the, the situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, you suffer more if you're negative about it all. But you can hand it all over to God and work through it and think positively about it and cling closely to God and you get through it. And you learn the lessons. You learn more lessons in the valley than you do on the mountaintop. And... As you've written to me, see every challenge as an opportunity for building resilience. And it sounds like you've built up yeah. a lot of resilience because you've had many, many opportunities for growth. Yes, and um, I'm grateful for it. <laughs> and I'm happy. I consider myself blessed with a happy life and I'm doing okay. There's no regrets. You can 
stew over things from the past and pull yourself down or you can look forward to the future and what life has in store for you. And I understand that you're a chaplain now. Yes, I'm a chaplain with emergency ministries and I see my background, including the PTSD, is actually a bonus because I can see it in people. I can see trauma in people. Mm-hmm. I can pick it up easily because I know what it's like. And I, when I see them blank out and they can't talk, I can just sit there and be there with mm-hmm. them. You know what they're going through. I know what they're going through and I know what's going on in their brain. So it's been a real bonus for me. It's sort of given me a sharper skill set, if you like. Yeah. So when their life is crazy and they're traumatized, you're like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Yes. Yep. And it doesn't frighten me. I'm not uncomfortable with Mm. their anger, their, Mm. their tears, their venting. I'm totally comfortable with all that because I know what it's like to have to work through that stuff. And how to help them get through it. Yes, yes. So it's been a long journey. Unfortunately, you've gone through some very traumatic experiences to the point of having to be healed from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. But the Lord, little by little, has been healing you over the years. And we pray that he continues to work in your life and also to heal you and give you strength from your current illness as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with a survivor of domestic violence and abuse. And as we've mentioned before, we didn't use her name in order to protect her and her family's privacy. It was great to hear how God has worked in her life. And she now says, I am not just a survivor, I am a thriver, an overcomer because of Jesus. Also, it was great to hear how she's now using all her experiences to help others as a chaplain, and that's fantastic. Well, as we mentioned last time, if you're listening today and can relate to anything you heard and you need help right now, you can call Lifeline's crisis support number 24 hours a day at 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. Or if you need someone to pray with, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray with you on that number, 1-800-772-936. Finally, a good verse to remember when you feel trapped in a seemingly hopeless situation is Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is always there for you and wants what's best for you. Why not call out to him today? Well, thanks for joining us for this two-part series focusing on the difficult topic of domestic violence and abuse. It was very encouraging to hear a survivor's story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I was heading to visit my relatives and then I was on the freeway. Then I was knocked by truck from behind and I drove to oncoming vehicles. In total, five cars knocked me on freeway. So while I was in ICU for three weeks, doctors were not sure for almost three months if I would be alive or dead. Kia Welday was born in Ethiopia 
and was sponsored by Australians through Compassion International until she was 18 years old. She eventually moved to Australia, where sadly she was in a horrific car accident in 2019 and was told she had less than a 20% chance of surviving. We'll hear Kiel's remarkable story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.